Hello, Russell here. I'm so excited to share some of my conversation with Philip Goff. Dr. Philip Goff's a philosopher and talks about panpsychism, the very uh, the idea that consciousness may be an inherent component or property of the universe. Jen, what bit did you like? The bit near the end. Oh, the bit near the end. Thank you for <laughs> oh, no. paying such close attention while you're producing. When you mentioned Neil deGrasse Tyson. When I mentioned people... Neil deGrasse Tyson and what, when I talk yeah. about science, yeah, there's yeah, bits where, where we... those theories come from? Let's talk about the aesthetics of science, that, that there are aesthetics, uh, aesthetic and bias, biases that are, are sometimes not declared. Yes, have a look at that bit. It's a very good conversation. He talks about, um, like, you know, simplicity. People prefer simple theorems. I suppose perhaps the argument is that there's an algebraic simplicity that moves them closer to truth. Anyway, if you're a person that's interested in consciousness, if you're interested in changing the world, you will love this podcast with Dr. Philip Goff. But you can subscribe to Luminary for as little as $2.99 penny pieces a month with their annual plan plus a seven-day free trial to get started. Visit luminarypodcast.com to start your free trial. Not available in all markets, subject to local currency and terms apply. So do you remember when I done a podcast with Eckhart Tolle the other day? Of course you do. Here's some of your comments. Good, wasn't it? Good two hours. Cheyenne White Dove goes, I've been waiting for this moment all my life. But that is true, Cheyenne, of all moments. Santi himself, it's calming just to hear what Eckhart has to say. And what he says is very true. Amazing guest, Russell. I agree with that. Just listening to him, it's like he's broadcasting the thing that he's talking about, sort of peace and bringing you into the present. I tell you this, I love Eckhart Tolle. There. <laughs> I love him. I've said it. Jessica says, I've been waiting for this for years. The two spiritual leaders. Yep. Two spiritual leaders. Yes, Jen, don't shake your head. Two, one being Eckhart Tolle. She doesn't literally say this, but what's implied is me, Russell Brand, old Russ from Big Brother's Big Mouth, <laughs> from Forgetting Sarah Marshall, from other things, Ponderland, going to the Greek, all those things, Spickable Me, two, one and two is a spiritual leader now and we're all going to just have to settle down and accept it on our comfy little cushions in our new emergent commune that's right because if you subscribe to the mailing list you might have been one of the hundred people that was on my zoom call the other day and i really i really felt as pleased as punch when i was doing it i really thought yes yes you'll be running an online church soon my man and then a real physical church that's right jen it's a coming Holidays are coming, holidays are coming, <laughs> revolution coming, revolution coming. And this panpsychism could be an important piece of the jigsaw. Anyway, let's get back to Jessica Litch's, uh, or Jesse Kitch's letter, electro letter, post. Uh, the two spiritual leaders, again, just to stress, that's me and Eckhart Tolle, who have taught me the most and stirred the most reflection. It's good because he talks about narcissus, doesn't he? And so stirring a reflection is a, an interesting image to have deployed. And growth within me sitting down together. The fact is it happened during the current events. Oh, the current events. And to be able to hear him speak about them is so next level. Hands going like, yay! Like those appreciative palm open hands, then prayer hands. My... My as a white person, I've not deliberately changed those prayer hands to white. I'd like them yellow, like you know the sort of emoji yellow. They seem to be white now. Yeah. Maybe I'll change them back to yellow. Why? Because <laughs> of the Simpsons. Seems too deliberate. <laughs> yeah, I'd rather be a Simpsons. <laughs> I'm a Simpsons. Personal promo. This is some promo that. What are you looking at me like that for? <laughs> How's your week been, Jen? Great. What do you do? Edited some videos of you. Good, were they? <laughs> yeah. 
Don't <laughs> squint when you say yeah. You're moving house? You, yes. Mm. Mm. Going to get in a relationship? With who? If you're interested... Why did your eyebrows do that? <laughs> I wonder who it would be. If you're interested in a relationship no. with Jen... <laughs> are you looking for a relationship? Not actively. What types of human being do you like? Thin. Thin. Doesn't matter the gender <laughs> or sex of the person? No. Doesn't matter. If you're a nice thin person, <laughs> give Jen... Chiselled. Chiselled. She's miming a chiselled <laughs> jaw. So, right. If you're listening to this, look down at your jaw. Run your hand along it is it chiseled if not don't bother but if it is you might and you're a single person do you want to be a single person Jen or do you not mind being with someone who's in another relationship not anymore okay so if you're if no one else will be hurt by it and you've got a nice chiseled jaw you, what's your what are you on Insta Jen go Jenny May Finn Jenny May Finn no. so there you go Jen you can edit it yourself you can take that out you can leave it in the fact is you've got the ultimate power in this situation. Because you want the credit. Even if I seem like a powerful patriarch in this situation, being dominant towards a female, a strong female in the workplace on her 30th birthday, the reality is, is if this is left in, Jenny left it in. She had that editorial power. I could power. cut that bit out, though. Yeah, cut that bit out. Oh, <laughs> now the mind games begin. It's your online Stalinist domain. Uh, yeah, subscribe to my YouTube channel to get some videos if you want. And follow me on all of those various, you know, social media sites if you want. The real thing you want to do is sign up to the mailing list because I do these online shows now. Call it an online church where you can, uh, like, sort of there's basically a Zoom meeting and, like, it's me talking, but I'll answer your questions. You'll have real direct, uh, you know, and also I, I respond to those emails. I can't promise that I'll respond to them all, but I do promise you that I'll read every single last one of them guys hello at uh, help at russellbrand.com is it that we send it to is it not hello it's one of those you can work it out look at my website alright then well let's get on with Philip Goff and understand the true nature of panpsychism once and for all it's getting on my nerves that I've not understood it already trying to achieve equality with the annihilation of category is not no, a successful that, route yes that's, that's, that's exactly right we're in this era where it turns out we were never the boss it doesn't look like an ideology What's beneath the surface of people we admire, of the ideas that define our time, the history we are told? And welcome to Russell Brand. Under the skin. It must be sort of very. Fa it must be fascinating for you to, to be a person that studies consciousness, and you are a conscious person. So it's yeah. very interesting. It must be a. You must be continually up against uh, your. You, you you are your own experience of you. I was thinking when you said that thing about mystical experiences that there, in a sense, there is nothing but mystical experiences on the basis of, like we've said, the inability to to ever truly breach subjectivity and the, the the sort of the privacy of that and also returning to this idea of power i sometimes think it's not a coincidence that, or, or, or random or arbitrary that these parameters are appearing uh, as to what areas can be explored i.e to your point about william james oh it's okay to trust sensory experience but it's not okay to trust mystical experience we it, and, and a kind of a determination to keep consciousness in the field say of neurology i think that there i suspect and sense and feel that 
The reason for that is that if we maintain materialism, if we believe only in empiricism, I suppose belief in empiricism is somewhat a contradictory idea, but like if that is the, how we formulate our values, then I, I feel that we see how, where that leads us. It leads us to individualism. It leads us to capitalism. It, it leads us to, you know, quite literally to materialism. And yet, on closer examination, we recognise that faith is a component, that there are unaddressed assumptions, and that to reform our society, to reimagine our society, uh, that for me, if a component of that is the idea that consciousness is an ever-present and abiding phenomena i look you know i don't want to go into dream catcher and crystal land it's but but i do feel that it's a sort of a very unifying idea there's something sort of rather beautiful and unifying and a way of explaining the mystery and for me all the mystery is and all that mysticism is is we are briefly interfacing information which we can't yet explain like again um i did you see that um neil degrasse tyson on like the cosmos i i i like neil degrasse tyson a lot and i respect him a great deal i watched this thing where he talked about that dude called bruno something or another who first sort of came up with some stuff i think prior to galileo about you know like the the way that the earth travels and the sun and that and the first person as i understand at least to say there are probably multiple solar systems and galaxies limit the stars etc and like he you know was burned as a heretic or whatever but in the documentary Neil deGrasse Tyson explains like oh and he just you know he didn't have any scientific evidence he didn't observe this in fact the telescope weren't invented for a few more years yet he just guessed it or he just dreamed it or made it up and I was like hold on a second this man accessed this realm of cosmic truth and that we've dismissed the idea that that, that there are other means, who are these rishis, these Sufis, these mystics and saints that seem to be able to access data and information that chimes with emerging theories on the nature of reality. I'm not saying it's right to institutionalize them or to start assuming that these, this group of people are better than this group of people and that particular version of truth is better, but it does at least seem to suggest that there are ways of acquiring data that are not via the senses and enhanced sensory instruments yeah i mean another another aspect of of uh empirical normal empirical science that i mentioned which related to that is is that simplicity is a constraint simplicity and elegance so you know actually for any empirical data there's always in principle an infinite amount of theory theories or hypotheses compatible with it how do we choose between them on the, on the basis of simplicity but you know why the hell are simpler theories more likely to be true what that's that's not you know that's a kind of weird uh starting point of science and you, you know usually it's kind of obvious what what the um what the simplest theory is but i mean sometimes mere simplicity has been a, a crucial decision point so with special relativity einstein's theory of special relativity was empirically equivalent to the lorentzian theory that preceded it it's just that Einstein gave a much simpler and more elegant interpretation of the data, you know, and Lorenz had all these ad hoc uh, constraints. So, you know, so, so, so there, that, that is another aspect where we're not just, people have this, sometimes have this oversimplistic conception of science, like it's just reading the data and, and, and mm. you know, putting the results. But sometimes it involves, you know, leaps of the imagination, radical reconceptualizations of our, of our, 
understanding of the universe. And, you know, we come back to your, the point about power and um, societal implications. I mean, so there's a, there's a strain of feminist thought. Naomi Klein's talked about this, that this moment in the scientific revolution where we separate out quantitative physical world and qualitative consciousness is, you know, leads to the idea that the, the natural world is a mechanism and mm. leads to the idea that we can do what the hell we want with it. Yeah. Uh, you know, moving on from a sort of maybe pagan idea of, you know, Mother Earth as something that needs respect and even fear. Uh, so I think, I, I'm kind of thinking, you know, I talk about this in the final chapter of my book, that the first four chapters are the sort of philosophical scientific case. And then the final chapter is just discussing the implications for human existence. And I do think, you know, it could potentially lead to a better relationship with the environment. If, so if you think a tree is just a mechanism, then basically you think its value is to do with indirect, you know, what it can do for us, either by looking pretty or sustaining our existence. But if you think a tree is a conscious organism, albeit of a, of a very alien kind, then it, you know, it's a, it's a locus of moral value in its own right. Chopping down a tree is an act of, you know, moral significance. So, you know, these terrible forest fires we've seen in Brazil, you know, we're all horrified by them. But if, if you see that as the burning of conscious organisms, it adds a whole moral dimension. So I kind of speculate about a child raised in a panpsychist worldview, seeing a forest as, you know, a buzzing, blooming community, I think can give you a very different connection to nature. Although I've been trying to persuade my three-year-old saying, do you think trees have feelings? And she say, no, they're just outside. They don't think about anything. So... Yeah, I've got a three-year-old and a two-year-old and they're conservative, selfish little bastards. Yeah, property, property hey, that, is so hardwired uh, into toddlers. Property, Mine! ego, I'll kill you. Yeah, like um, that thing that you just said about, um, you know, the, the sort of pre preference for simplicity in the establishment of uh, hypotheses and theories, that's an interesting and fundamental bias that's kind of about aesthetics more than anything else and the other challenge that i feel that uh, conventional science faces is on the um assumption of objectivity is the way that it is funded the kind of questions that are asked the kind of questions that are not asked and to your uh, later point about like if if kids grew up thinking that they are inherently connected to trees that the themselves are conscious organisms a priori then it's not so easy to breed generation after generation at which you point out is sort of a, almost a, uh, an anomalous historical blip to raise people just to consume stuff and not think about anything else you're an individual the tree is just a mechanism chop that down use it if it's not useful to you it's not valuable that that's for me not an accidental worldview but a deliberate one that feeds into a particular and fundamental philosophy that is our abiding one that for utility economics if it can't be used it's not a value yeah. And, you know, I think touching on connecting to this, the fear of, of you, people worry if we're going to take these approaches, we're going to lose all constraint. You know, you're going to lose the way of you're going to get to the woo and the mystery. And but, you know, as I say, I think we need we've got academic institutions. We've got peer review system to, to weed that out and to bring rigor. And it's more important than ever. I think to avoid conflicts of interest. I was just speaking at a philosophy festival and also speaking there was Mark Littlewood from the Institute of Economic Affairs, who, you know, a, a, an organization who don't declare their funders. And so, you know, don't give us the right 
to listen to what they're saying uh, and in, in the knowledge of who's paying the piper, you know, so I don't, and they're on the BBC all the time as sort of impartial wow. voices. I, I think you should not have the right to, you know, call yourself a think tank unless you are completely transparent as your donors. You shouldn't have the right to appear on the BBC as, you know, so, so I think it's, I, I think the, the answer to this worry about, about losing any kind of constraint is, you know, institutions where we get out conflicts of interest we have transparency um and you know I, th I think that's an important part of it i agree i think it's a kind of conservatism as opposed to some sort of a like preservation of some uh, pure ideal that that when you have funded organizations presenting information as unbiased truth that's a uh, problematic again it's just like that is ideological it's d deeply ideological if you're enjoying this conversation join me over at luminary for the rest of our discussion and for all the latest episodes of underskin go to luminarypodcast.com to start your free trial see you day all